Philippians. We are in uh, chapter 9 today, chapter 9. We, we've tipped over the halfway point in this thing. Sometimes I get into these studies and go, wonder, this is going to take forever. But whoa, we're, we're tipping over the halfway point into chapter 9. And we want to teach God's word. That's the word that has power and truth. And we want to make the Bible clear. So we're going to dig into chapter 9 today. And here's our story for the, the backdrop to this chapter it's this idea that appearances can be deceiving. You ever known that? Appearances can be deceiving. Uh, you might have heard it said, you don't judge a book by its cover. Maybe you've heard that kind of phrase. And um, that's the backdrop to this chapter. And so I'll show you uh, some, some pictures. This is a picture here. It's not a good picture. I pulled it off the internet. Uh, this is Pastor Leroy. I actually don't know his wife's name. I've not met her. But there's a picture of Pastor Leroy and his wife. And I met him, I don't know, six, eight years ago, maybe more. Pastor Leroy is from a little town called Mansfield. Has anybody heard of Mansfield, Washington? Anybody driven through? You're like, oh, yeah, I had a, I had a flat tire in Mansfield once. Or, I don't think there's a stoplight. Uh, I've not actually even driven through there. This is just Leroy's description. It's kind of in the middle of the state. It's east, a little bit southeast of Chelan. It's south of Brewster. I don't know. It's, it's, there's 350 people. That photo there, that's probably the whole town, right? That's it. And then it's an agricultural area, farming, wheat. That's Mansfield, population 350. So I meet Pastor Leroy at a prayer gathering and uh, just get to know him a little bit. And Pastor Leroy, he's actually, he said he's a farmer and he's worked in farming and agriculture and on equipment. I don't exactly remember what he did, but something to do with all the wheat production there. And so he began leading Mansfield Community Church, which is a sister church of ours, part of Converge Northwest, as a lay pastor, meaning he serves as the pastor, but he's bivocational. He's employed in the agriculture business, and he just gives his time to be pastor. So I met him at this prayer gathering, got to know him, and he's at all of, the, uh, all of our conference events with other pastors. And he, it would be easy to go to these events, these pastors' events, and to just overlook Leroy. Because they always put him at the newer church with the cool tech. Uh, one of them, we went, the whole wall was a screen. I'm not ADD, but I, I was ADD that day. There was so much on the screen. I was like, I, I can't even handle this. My brain was exploding. I, I understood what some people live with, TT. But I mean, so it's high tech. You know, they're talking, the pastors are talking. We had 300 new people this and 400 new people that. And you would look in the room and think, who's, who's the pastors of the churches that are really growing and doing it? You wouldn't look at Leroy because he's, kind of, he's dressed a little bit like a farmer. He's very quiet. He's very humble. He's not, you know, up in front of anyone. But you talk to him and he says, look, I don't want our church to have to pay for a pastor because I want, we, they were looking like all the money we have in this little church and this little community we're looking to bring in someone to work with the youth in our community. And he says, it doesn't even matter to me if they're in this church. I think there's two other churches in town. We just want to reach the youth. We want them to be in the high school. 
and to connect. And so I'm going to work for free for our church so that any money we have can find someone who will reach out to the youth in this little teeny town because I just want them to know Jesus. You wouldn't know that in a full room. You'd think, who's the pastor that's doing it? Who's really excited for Jesus? You'd look right past Leroy. But Leroy has this just beautiful heart of gold, serving his church, sacrificing greatly to reach this little teeny town. And you'd miss that if you didn't talk to him. If you just looked in the room, you probably wouldn't think much of Leroy. But when you get to know him, he's amazing. So you don't want to judge by appearances. And that's a little bit what was happening in Corinth with the people there, this church there was some of this happening. They were judging Paul by appearances. Paul is the church planner, the missionary that planted this church, but he's being critiqued by some and challenged by some. And some of it had to do with similar things. They're judging by appearances. And one of the things was Paul was what we call a tent maker. Uh, Today, that's an analogy for something else, but the analogy actually goes to Paul. He literally was a tent maker, right? He sewed tents, which was not just a recreational use in that time. It had far more, you know, dwelling purposes and sheltering. So what he would do is is he would travel these different towns. He would find places to preach, try to find some believers, try to start a church. But he had a business he was running that was making tents. And his idea was, and we're going to see, he didn't want to charge any churches anywhere for missionary support or pastoral support. He raised his own support, kind of like Leroy. Today we call it bivocational ministry. But some people would look on and go, look at this guy. I mean, isn't anybody supporting his ministry? Doesn't anybody think he's doing a good job? He can't even get missionary support? I don't know about him. He's out there all day and all night making tents. I don't think he's quite up to par with these other missionaries who have support, who have people behind them, who don't have to make tents. And so they were looking at his life, looking at his method of ministry, and they were judging by appearances. It looks like he doesn't get any support. Well, maybe he's less than. Maybe the officials back in Jerusalem thought, we're not going to give him any money to do this ministry because we don't think he's worth it. And so they began to downgrade Paul in their mind. They began to think, something must be wrong. Why can't he get support? Why does he have to work at night? What's going on here? And what they were realizing and what we're going to see in this chapter (laughs) It was all very intentional, had nothing to do with not getting support. It has everything to do with him choosing not to take support for some other reasons that we're going to see. And and what we're going to see that just like Leroy and Paul, self-sacrifice spreads the gospel. Leroy and his community said, I will sacrifice. I'm a farmer. I don't need anyone. I have an income. I don't need any money from the church because I want it all to go to reaching the youth in this town. And we're going to see this from Paul. He's saying, I could take money. I could be supported like a missionary. I could receive support like a pastor. But I don't want to because in his sacrifice, it's going to spread the gospel faster. And so it can look like on the surface that someone's not up to par or something's wrong. But in reality, they are having a deep sacrifice so that the good news of Jesus goes further and further. And and they're removing any kind of stumbling block. 
So that's the backdrop to this passage today, that on the surface it can look like something's wrong and something's broken, but what you see is someone sacrificing deeply to help the gospel go forward. That's what you see. So let's jump in. I want to read the whole chapter, and then we'll, we'll piece it back together. I want to read the whole chapter. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the wall. If you've got your own Bible, pull it out. If it's your own Bible, you can write in it. If it's a church Bible, don't write in it. But, uh, but if it's your own, you can underline all you want. Okay, he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward." But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right, there's the whole, the whole chunk here. We're going to come pick back through that and, uh, and get to the point here about self-sacrifice. But first, that little, those first three verses give you an idea that the, Paul's being judged, evaluated, looked down upon in some way. Did you catch that? He's saying, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And so there might have been some accusation that, well, there was Jesus' original apostles, and then this Paul guy, where did he come from? There's these guys, they're the real ones going, but then this Paul guy, he's a little bit late to the party. And he's saying, I actually meet the standards of an apostle, right? I've seen the Lord Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on the road. He's saying, so I'm, I meet the criteria. I have a firsthand experience with Christ. He sent me. So he's saying, I am an apostle. And he said, aren't you the proof of it, right? Aren't you my workmanship? The fact that a church started, that you believe the gospel, that's what he's saying there. He's like, if, if I'm not an apostle to other people, I am to you, right? I've planted this church. I preached the gospel. You responded. I've invested in you. I've been a, like a father to you. But verse 3 tells us, this is my defense. So some people are looking at him thinking he's less than an apostle. He's not on the same tier. And I think a lot of it has to do with this concept of him not taking money, him not being supported by other churches they're thinking, well, maybe something's wrong. Maybe he's not worthy of support. Maybe the head uh, of the Jerusalem church, maybe Peter was like, no, don't give Paul any money. So Paul's out there working for a living and there's something wrong with him. So that's why he's saying, why are you examining me? Let me tell you. Say, I'm not less than. Let me tell you why I choose to work. Let me tell you why I am bivocational. That has nothing to do with being weak, less than, unworthy. He has nothing to do with that. So the first section here, he's going to lay out a case, and we're going to go a little bit faster through this part and then settle into the second half of this chapter. He makes a case for gospel wages, the idea that people who are serving in ministry, part-time, full-time, that there's a biblical principle that you can be supported, that you can be paid for that. He, that's the first case he's going to make, but he's going to say, that's a biblical case, that's something God set up, and I don't use it. And he's going to tell you why. They think he's not using it because no one will support him because something's wrong with him because he's less than. And he's saying, no, actually, it's extremely intentional for the gospel. So that's, that's what's happening here. He's going to make a case for gospel wages. He's like, we have the same rights to eat right? <laughs> Don't I have the right to eat? We need to have food. God didn't send me on this mission to watch me starve to death and die halfway there, right? So we're serving the Lord. We have a right to food. Uh, we have the right to get married if we want. We already looked at that back a couple chapters ago, that he's choosing not to be married, to be fully dedicated to the Lord, but he could be married. I mean, that could have been another critique. Like he doesn't, he's working on his own. No woman will marry him. This guy's dressed poorly. Should we really listen to him? And he's like, no, this is all intentional. It's like, I'm choosing not to be married. I'm choosing 
to work with my own hands for specific reasons, but he's saying, I could do those things. Right? The other apostles are married. Kephas is a word for Peter. Right? The Lord's brothers are married. He said, I could be married. I'm choosing not to. He's like, and is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? He's like, why are you judging me? So he gives several um, analogies here, right? Who serves at, as a soldier at his own expense? That's analogy one. If you're going to be in the military, like the military people don't raise their own support. They're paid by, by the government. They're paid for by Caesar. They're paid for, so he's saying, I'm serving the Lord. I can receive pay from the Lord. Same with he uses a farmer illustration there who plants a vineyard and then gives it all away. Doesn't get any profit from it. No, he's expecting to have some of the fruit, expecting the profit. Same with the flock, right? He's not going to give all the milk away. He's expecting some of them. So he makes some agricultural illustrations. And then he says, now let's turn to the scriptures. There's agricultural illustrations. There's military illustrations. But the, the law, the Old Testament says the same thing. And this one's kind of funny, right? You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is God really worried about ox? Well, he must have been somewhat worried about him because he put it in there, right? This ox is doing the work treading and plowing, and they're like, we'll make him work harder and faster if we put a muzzle on him so he's not eating all day long. I have zero experience with oxen. My only experience that somewhat approximates this was I went hiking with llamas. You see the connection? Right, it's very similar. But uh, so my friend had, his family had four llamas. And we went on a hike and they said, well, bring the llamas because then you can carry more things. So all I had in my backpack was clothes and the llamas had all our tents and our food and a table. All right, we're up in the mountains. Nobody has a table in the mountains. We had a table in the mountains. So, but here's the problem. They're slow. And if you've ever tried to pull a llama, their neck is this long, and it's one giant muscle. Like, you're not pulling the llama. Like, they're just like, eh. So we hike with the llamas. They carry all the weight, but they ate all the way up the trail. They're snacking here, and they're snacking there. And we were just like, uh, and I'm not a fast person, but they were slow for me even. So, we, so there was a trade-off, right? We had a huge tent. Not a little backpack tent. We had like a huge tent you'd see at a campground. We had a table. We had tons of food because the llamas carried it. But the trade-off is we went slower, right? So we could have muzzled them like, hey, walk faster. But they're carrying your gear. So let them eat whatever bushes they wanted to eat. And it was a trade-off. So anyways, I don't know anything about oxen. But the principle is the thing is working for you. The thing is serving you. It can eat, right? So the same thing. This oxen's plowing your field and treading your grain. If he wants to snack his way along, let him do it. Because what would the work be like without the oxen? Right? You don't want to do it. You don't want to be hooked to a plow. So he's like, is God really worried about the animals? No, right? He's saying, if people are serving you, right? He's speaking for our sake. Uh, they have a hope in sharing in it. And so that's the principle he's getting at. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material, right? If someone's working for you, serving you in some way, there's an expectation that you share in it. And so that's kind of the idea, moving from agriculture to the law. He's saying the whole point is um, that this principle of if someone's working and serving for you, there's a right to take care of them.
That's the idea. And so he said, we're not really talking about animals. We're talking about supporting people full-time for gospel ministry is appropriate, is expected. They're serving you. They're working for you. Don't muzzle them. So, but Paul hasn't done it, right? He's not taking money from them. So verse 12, if others share this rightful claim, we certainly do because he planted the church. He started the church. He's been writing letters back and forth. He's sort of pastoring them from a distance. But he said, I have not made use of this right. I could insist upon it, but I've not because I don't want to create an obstacle. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But he's saying there's a, there's a reason he's choosing not to do it. I don't want to do anything to block the progress of the gospel. I'll come back to this verse. He says those who are, and now he goes, we had agriculture, military, the law, and now he's going to how does it work in the temple? The temple service, people serving God's temple. Those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple. Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering. So when people brought their animal to sacrifice, a certain part of it went on the altar as burned to God. The rest went to the priests. So they got to eat it, and only they could eat it. So he's saying this principle existed in the temple worship if people are working in the temple, it was appropriate that they received their support from it. That's the point he's making. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So now he finally takes it all the way up to Jesus' own commands. One place you see this, I'll just show you quickly, is in Matthew 10, 9. Jesus sends out his his uh, disciples two by two. He's, he gives them commands. And one of his commands when he sends them out is acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or two tunics, like two coats or sandals or staff for the laborer deserves his food. So he's basically saying, you don't need to pack everything you own to go on this trip. The people you go minister to are going to feed you. And, and so this is a command of the Lord that the laborer deserves his wages. You're serving them spiritually, so it's appropriate for you to receive your support from them. So that's, that's the biblical principle of it. That I went through that really fast, but he's saying the law has it, agriculture has it, the military has it, the temple has it, and the Lord Jesus said that if you're serving in gospel ministry, that can be your support. So he's saying that's the biblical principle and you guys do that for me and my family and Pastor Mark. That you guys have said, we want you full-time working here at the church. We want you dedicated to this ministry so we will support you in that. And so I'm grateful and I'm thankful for that. And, and that, that's been a blessing to my family. So thank you for supporting me in that. Thank you for taking care of our family and Pastor Mark's family. We appreciate it because we, we get the privilege of being dedicated to this work. I get the privilege of studying this text during the week. It's a great benefit. So thank you for that. But Paul says he doesn't do it, right? Verse 12, I have not made use of this right. I have all the biblical, he just laid it out. I have all the biblical reason to do it from agriculture, military, animal, Old Testament, New Testament. And I don't do it because I don't want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. It doesn't mean something's wrong with me. It doesn't mean I'm not worthy of support. It means I'm refusing to take it. What's the obstacle? What would you guess? Is it still an obstacle today? What would you guess? You're just in it for the money. Can you think of any examples in our country where people have been in it just for the money? Right? 
I mean, since we've got the TV ministry going, it's been really great. I'm just kidding. YouTube gives us zero money. I'm just kidding. Right? Isn't that how it happens all the time? You get the big hair, the white shoes, the giant throne on the stage. I'm in it for Jesus. No, you're not, right? The worst one I saw was uh, watching one of those on TV and... They took this one verse, Jesus sat down at the temple treasury and was watching people put money in. And the rest of the story is he watched a lot of rich put money in and then the poor widow put in all she had. And he pointed out her faith. But they just put the, Jesus watched people putting money in the treasury. And they're like, all right, Jesus is watching you. You better give some money. And it was just like, oh, that's horrible. Horrible abuse. So he's saying Money is an obstacle. We have lots of examples in our culture where people looked like they were serving the gospel, looked like they were in it for the Lord. In reality, you know, they're embezzling, they're stealing, they're manipulating scripture, they're making millions, they're, uh, you know, they're just, it's, be- it's brutal, right? It's brutal. And so Paul's saying, I could be supported by you. I have biblical ability to be supported by you, but I'm choosing not to because I don't want anyone to say, you just did it for the money. I don't want anyone to question my motives. I don't want anyone to think, why are you doing this? So that's, that's where this goes. This is where we get to this self-sacrifice for the gospel. So the second point I want us to see in verses 15 to 18 is that Paul He has a non-negotiable sacrifice he set up. Now, he set up something maybe more extreme. Some of you after this might be like, about time we stop paying that pastor. We just read it. That doesn't have to be every person's decision. But I want you to see he made this non-negotiable stand that he's not going to take support. He's going to be bivocational. He's going to work with his own hands to make sure the gospel goes as far as it can. So he's going to tell us why. And so this is why we don't want to judge by appearances. There's not something wrong with him. There's something that he's so deeply committed to. So let's look at this non-negotiable sacrifice. See in verse 15, he says, I've made no use of any of these rights, right? The right to receive support, nor am I writing to secure anything. They might read this letter and go, oh no, we better give him some money. No, he's like, I'm not asking for your money. That's not my point. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. This this is pretty serious. This is not a teenager saying, I'll die if I don't get my phone back. No. He's saying, I would rather it just be put out. Take me, I'm done right now if this is taken away from me. This is top priority for me. I would rather die. Now, this idea of boasting feels a little dangerous. Doesn't that word, bragging, boasting, it feels like we're in kind of dangerous territory. Like, what? Why is he bragging? What's he talking about here? Um, And so that was where I came up. The best word I could come up with is, like, this is a non-negotiable, or we might use the word a value. If you've ever heard of an organization or people, like, these are my top values. These are the things most important to me. Like one of our values of as a church as we're doing it right now is making the Bible clear. So we're digging into Bible passages. So it's like his top value. It's his top thing. Like this is the most important thing for me. You see it in verse 18 
What is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right. So he's saying this for him, he just made this decision. This was his value. This was his ground of boasting. This is his thing that he's going to do. I'll give you this illustration and you'll probably go, it just sounds like you're boasting, which that's what Paul's doing. So here's the illustration for me. I like mountain biking. We put a little letter about that this summer. I love to mountain bike. I don't know if you know anything about mountain biking, but it involves the word mountain. So that means that there's two things that have to happen, right? What goes up must come down. But the going up is hard. If you've ever mountain biked, you have to mountain bike up a hill. Before you can ride the cool trails down, you have to ride up. And so for me, the thing I decide whenever I go mountain biking, it's my, my boasting, if I were to use Paul's language, I never want to walk my bike. I just don't want to. So I pedal always. I have friends I go with are like, I'll see you later. I'm going to walk. This is too steep. But I just made it my thing. Ryan is going to pedal to the top. Ryan has plenty of calories to burn, so he needs to pedal to the top. So some of it is just, I need to get in. But I just made it my thing. Now you're going, why are you telling? It's, it's, this is kind of the idea. It doesn't matter. Who cares how you get to the top? If you want to walk your bike, walk your bike. The fun is going down. But for some reason, I just don't like to walk my bike. I just want to pedal to the top, so I do. <clears throat> might not be fast. I might sound very terrible and breathing when I get there, but I get there. And I, it, that's the best illustration I could come up with. Paul's saying it's not wrong to take support. I could take support, but I, I don't want to. He's like, this is my non-negotiable for me. When I'm going to deliver the gospel to you, the thing that I want to have built my life on the thing that's my value is I want to offer it for free. So, and he's, and I, I'm going to put my life on that. I don't have to. I'm choosing to. That's what he's saying. Go back to verse 16. He says, so why? Like, why does he make that his thing? Why is it such a big deal? Why is he telling us about it? Why is this kind of boasting language? For me, he says, for if I preach the gospel, if I go around doing what I'm supposed to do, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So in Paul's life, he's saying, if I go around and share the gospel of Jesus and plant churches, I, he's like, if I don't do it, I'm in trouble. Woe is like disaster is going to come upon me. Bad things are going to happen to me if I don't do it. So he's saying, this is, it's not a choice to do it. I must do it. And you think, well, why is that? Why does he have to do it? And that's where you have to remember the story of Paul. Right? The story of Paul is that he was persecuting the church. He was dragging Christians off to throw them in jail. He talks about he cast his vote to have Stephen executed. He said, I wanted him killed as a Christian. So he said, I cast my vote. I was holding the cloaks. I was dragging Christians off, and Jesus met me on the road. If you want to see his account of it, it comes in Acts 26, if you want to look there. Acts chapter, there's several places in Acts that tell the story. But Acts 26 is his own words, Paul's own words telling the story. He's in jail, and he's on, on trial, and he's going to speak before... Um, King Agrippa, and uh, this is what he said. 
So he's getting to tell, why are you a Christian? He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So when Paul's saying, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel, I must preach the gospel, woe is me. He's riding a horse to drag people away who follow Jesus and a bright light from heaven knocks him on the ground. Did you see that? He said, we were on the ground. It wasn't this bright light, happy moment, come into the light. The light took him out, right? The light knocked him down. Well, who are you, Lord? And what does he say? The one word he did not expect to hear, uh, I'm actually Jesus, the resurrected, exalted Lord who you're persecuting. Stop it. It's hard to kick against the goads, a big, sharp, pointy stick they use to prod animals along. You can't kick at that. What are you doing? Stop. And not only does he say, stop, he says, here's the deal. I'm going to send you, instead of you dragging people off to prison, you're going to go around the world and preach my name, and you're going to end up in prison. How about that bonus? So when Paul says, I absolutely have to preach the gospel, he's not joking. Right? He didn't come and have an appearance of Jesus that said, I've got you, and I'm comforting you, and it's all going to be okay. I think he had a pretty terrifying experience. This Jesus who I thought was a fraud, who I thought we killed, who I thought we put away with, just talk to me from heaven. Your whole life undone. His whole way of thinking undone. His whole belief system just turned upside down in a moment. And he said, you're going to go to the Gentiles. So Paul is you know, looking back in the story. He's saying, if I go around preaching the gospel, there's no re- reward in that because the Lord Jesus told me I bear to do it, and I met him, and he's glorified, and I'm terrified, and I'm not going to mess that up. If I don't preach the gospel, I'm not going to stand before him and him say, why didn't you do what I knocked you off your horse and told you to do? He's like, I, that's absolute. I must obey that. Right? Paul's saying, I have no choice. If the glorified Jesus shows up and speaks to you, you do it. You do it. So he's saying, there's no reward in that. That's simply saving me from sheer terror of not doing what he told me to do. But verse 17, but he says, if I do this of my own will, if I'm willing to do it, I have a reward. If I just say, yes, I, not only must I do it because I'm terrified, I'm going to choose to do it. There's reward in that willing service. He says, but if it's, even, if it's not of my own will, even if I don't want to do it, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. You've still been given. God says, I'm still making you responsible to do it, even if you don't want to do it. Entrusted with the stewardship. You must preach the gospel. You must proclaim it. I'm entrusting you with this thing. 
He gives us that same language over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're new in Christ. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us to himself. We usually stop there. New creature in Christ. He's reconciled. We're restored to relationship, but that's not where it stops. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You need to go take this ministry. You need to go serve others with reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. It's not about you. It's about the whole world. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's that same language. I'm entrusting this to you. I'm putting you in charge of this thing. And so this, is, this language, it's not just maybe if I think about it, I might want to tell someone about the gospel. Paul's saying, no, you've been reconciled, and now I've entrusted you not only to receive reconciliation, to minister it to others, and to take the message of it, because God's interested in the whole world, not just you, right? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. We are. We're representing Christ to this world. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Same with this verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you get to this verse 17, Paul's saying, we were, he says, I can be rewarded for serving God willingly, but even if I don't want to do it, even if I don't want to travel to the next town, even if I don't want to keep making tents, even if I don't want to get into another place and they reject me, even if I don't want to do it, it doesn't matter if I don't want to do it. I'm entrusted with it. It's not a choice. He's saying it's something God trusted me with the gospel. He trusted me with the message. He trusted me with the ministry. And so I'm going to do it. If I choose not to, that's sheer terror. I've already met him. If my will falters, which happens all the time, but I've been entrusted with this thing. We have been entrusted with this whole message. It's not just if I feel like doing something for God, great. If I don't, no big deal. He's saying, I not only died for your sins and forgave them all and made you a new creature and preparing a place for you, I actually want you to, I'm trusting you with that message and that ministry to take it to others. It's something I'm trusting you with. I want you to do it. And so we see Paul taking that very seriously. I am I'm entrusted to do this. I'm going to do this. In verse 18, he actually tells us his pay. When it says, what is my reward? It's literally, well, what is my wages? What is, what is my wages? Remember he said, I refuse to take money. I refuse to have a wage from the people I'm ministering to. But he comes around to verse 18. But what is my wage? What, how am I paid? He says that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make use of my right. So he's saying, I have to share the gospel. I'm terrified because the Lord Jesus met me on the road and already knocked me off my horse once. I don't want to go down that road again. It's like, I'm not going down the opposing road, the disobeying road ever again. That was enough to freak me out. 
but I'm also, but I'm entrusted. So he's, it's like this idea, because I've been told to do it, and I have to do it, I want to put this extra twist on it, because I want God to know that I willingly did it for him, so I'm going to make it just a little bit extra hard on myself, because I really want him to know it's for him. He really doesn't have an option, right? He really doesn't have an option to, to preach for the Lord, so he's saying, I'm going to do it extra hard, I'm going to do it without pay. I'm going to make my own wage. Why? He's like, that's a reward to me. And I think it's because he was so grateful. Don't you? I think it was because he was so grateful. I don't think it's because he wants to brag in heaven and be like, ha ha, you took pay. I didn't. I think it was, I was killing people. I was throwing people in jail, and if the Lord Jesus wanted to strike me dead and cast me into hell, he could have right that moment, and I'd be done, game over. But instead, he said, I've got a big plan for you. I actually want you to go around the world, and I want you to preach the message of reconciliation. I want you to go to the Gentiles of all people. He hated them. He wouldn't eat what he did. I don't want anything to do with her. They're not, that's where I'm sending you, Paul. How about that? And I think he was so grateful. He was so grateful to be saved, to be forgiven, to have a purpose and have a mission that he said, you know what? I would rather work day and night because I don't want anyone to think I'm doing this for money. I don't want anyone to stumble over anything I'm doing. And I want to, when I stand before the Lord, said, I did it. I did it for you and you alone because he's grateful. Think, wow, what a that's his non-negotiable. I don't think it's because he wants to be prideful. I don't think it's because he wants to look down on other people. I think he just wants to say it was for you and you alone, because you saved me. You saved me. So that's his non-negotiable. And that's where we get this idea that self-sacrifice spreads the gospel. He said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get the gospel out there because I'm so grateful, even if it's extra hard for me. So he goes on to give all kinds of things here in verse 19. It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law in order to win those that I might win those under the law. The idea is, it's like I figured out this specific culture of people and I was willing to enter into some of their cultural values to reach them. So when he's with Jewish people, he probably ate kosher, followed the customs that he knew so well. He's like, I know how to interact with Jewish people. I know how to eat the Jewish diet. I know how to do the Jewish washing. And it's so important to me not to offend them. I'm going to put myself under those practices so I can talk to Jews. Then he says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. It's like, I'm not really outside the law, but I was able to be with them, right? I was, I was able to act and function among them in a way that I might win those outside the law. Can you say bacon cheeseburger, right? He's at a Gentile's house. I'll go into your house. I'll eat what you're serving. I don't have to observe the food laws when I'm at your house. I can have the bacon. I can, don't have to do the ceremonial washings. I can interact with you. And so he's like, I'm willing, if I'm going to be reaching Jewish people, to put myself under their customs so I can reach them. If I'm not with Jewish people, I'm willing to let that go and do the point. 
He's like, I just want to reach them. I don't want any obstacles. I don't want to come into some Gentile's house and say, ooh, you're serving that. And they're highly offended. He's like, no, I'm just going to sit at your table and eat with you, be in your culture. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is the challenge to us as Western Americans, right? We don't usually talk in the language of I'm going to make myself a servant to other people. We talk in the language of I'm going to do what I want to do. This is a free country. What are the rights that I have to do the things that I want to do? And that doesn't take the gospel anywhere. I mean, it just, it just doesn't. I mean, it's, it's the why we're wearing these things. I want to do this so that people come in this room and are concerned about the virus, that we're serving them. Even if you don't, aren't concerned, vaccinated or not vaccinated, we're not doing this for ourselves. We're putting ourselves under so that we might reach people. That's the point of it. There's all kinds of things we might do to say, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to put myself underneath, I'm going to become a servant, because the most important thing isn't my freedom, it's other people meeting Jesus so they can have eternal freedom. One of the biggest things I think we sacrifice is our time. Maybe, I'll just give some examples. Maybe you'd say, hey, I'm super busy, but I'm going to coach this this little league team on my kids' team because I want to be influencing their lives, and I have an opportunity to do it, and it's going to require a lot, and there's ADD kids running around going crazy not listening to me, but I want to be in their parents' life, so I'm going to do it. That's that's one example. Uh, I've known some people who will... Like volunteer to be on a committee in their neighborhood or at a workplace, like an extra committee, because I just want to rub shoulders with some people and be able to influence them for the gospel. And I don't really want to be on that committee and I don't really want to be part of that, but I want to influence people, so I'll do it. So you're willing to put yourself under that. Some people have even willingly moved to a lower income part of town or a lower income apartment building because like I want to reach that area. And I can't reach him if I don't live there, so I'm going to live there on purpose. That's what I'm going to put myself under so that I can reach them. Some of the things uh, we do in my, I'm going to talk about it a little more in a minute, disciples making disciples, is we're looking to reach people for Jesus where we live, work, worship, shop, and play. And so I, one of the places where I go is to the bank. I'm a go-inside-the-bank kind of person. I want to talk to a real human. I want to put the thing in their hand, and I want to receive a thing back in my hand. So that's me. Some of you are like, oh, that takes forever. you got to get out of your car. I don't know. I just like to go inside. So the bank guy, I, start to, I go in every couple weeks, and he's this friendliest guy. So I start to talk to him, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know, I need to see if I can connect with this guy, share the gospel. So I said, give me, you know, hey, what's your phone number? Got his phone number. I said, what? You have been so friendly to me. Would you ever want to go just grab coffee? I'd love to hear your story. And he's like, oh, sure. So then we text, and he throws out a bunch of times that don't work, and then I threw out a time, and then it just went quiet. Like, he just didn't answer me anymore. It's like, oh, it went weird. I knew it went weird. So the next time, I'm like, I don't want to go in there. You know, like, oh, it got awkward. I'll go to a different branch. I'll just do the drive-up window. You know that? You're like, I'll just avoid. But I, this is just an example. Of, I'm like, you just got to go in there. 
You just got to go back in there. It was weird. He stopped texting you. He kind of dumped me on text. And so I just went in and it's, you know, we just sort of pretended that nothing happened and we just talked again. But, but the idea was some of putting myself under sacrificing was I just got to go into a weird situation because there's still good connection with him. And who knows if maybe another time I can meet him for coffee, and hear his story and start pointing towards Jesus. But this whole idea, Paul saying, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to reach people. And the only way you reach them is if you sacrifice, if you serve, whatever it is. I don't know what it is in your specific context. You know, I'm going to be the person who picks up all the garbage in the neighborhood. I'm going to be the one when all the trash bins blow over in the wind. I just go do it because I want to reach those people. I'm going to be the one in my workplace that's going to stay and help the new person. You just keep looking for ways when you don't have the time, I don't really want to do it, and this could be hard, but it's not my life. I've been saved by Jesus. I'm I'm an ambassador for him, and I want to serve him. And so in order to serve him, I need to serve others in hopes, you see, that I might save some. A lot of people won't notice. A lot of people won't care. Some people will. Some people will notice. Some people will care. Some people are hungry. The Holy Spirit's gone ahead of us. He's starting to stir hearts. He's like, I'm sending you there. Will you serve? Will you sacrifice? Because that self-sacrifice spreads the gospel. When people look at Paul and they realize, no, there's not something wrong with you. You're actually sacrificing deeply so that the gospel goes further. I think it starts to speak to them. And when he realized he's come alongside and served me, not judged me, it starts to, to speak to them. And so that's the question for us. Are we willing to sacrifice something to spread the gospel? Whatever it is, it's probably a lot of it is your time. It's hard to spread the gospel without giving time to people. But maybe it's being in somewhere you don't want to be or an uncomfortable situation with the banker or whatever. One thing I'll throw out here. I am going to be starting another round of our Disciples Making Disciples training. I've been doing with one group for about a year on Tuesdays. I'm going to start a new group. If you want to be specifically trained, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how to share your story, how to share God's story, how to disciple a new believer, how to start a Discovery Bible study, I'm starting another group on October 10th, and we're going to do it at the 9 a.m. group's time. So we'll go 9 to 10, 15. So if you want to be a part of that, the first meeting is going to be a vision meeting. And I'm going to tell you right up, it's not a class. A class, you go, you listen, you get information, you decide if you want to do anything about it or not, and that's that. This, every week we come back and we're going to ask you, did you go talk to that person? Did you follow up with what he said you do? And we, there's a lot of accountability in it, which is really good, but it's not a class. We're used to classes where I listen to information, I take it, I leave it. No, this is, I want to be a disciple maker, and I want you to coach me how to do it. So I'm starting another one of those, October 10th. I picked the 9 o'clock, too, because we got the kids' stuff all figured out. So if you come at 9 o'clock and go to my training, there's something for your kids. So just putting that out there, parents. Your kids can go to Sunday school. Your kids can go to middle school. Your kids can go to high school. You can come be trained. So it's all lined up on the 10th. Come check it out if you want to know information. Coming on the 10th doesn't obligate you. I'm just going to cast the vision, and then you can decide if you want to be in on that. Self-sacrifice spreads the gospel because self-sacrifice is the gospel, right? The Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. The Lord Jesus Christ 
hung upon that cross. The Lord Jesus Christ reconciled. And so I want us to never lose sight that it all starts with Jesus. Pastor Mark's going to lead us in a couple songs here. The first song is a response to Christ. Come to the altar. And so the first response for you today might be, I need to just come to Jesus. Maybe I've been distant. Maybe I've been far. Maybe I don't know Jesus. And you need to come to him. And the second one is a response about the heart of Jesus. Maybe I am a believer and I want to have the heart. It's called give me your heart. I want to have a heart to see the hurting and the broken. I want to have a heart to self-sacrifice. So those are two ways we're responding today. First is just a response to Jesus that you want to believe. The second one is a response that you want to self-sacrifice like Paul and go out and lead people towards Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your self-sacrifice on the cross, that you lowered yourself, you took on flesh, and you paid the price for our sins, and you rose again, and you now reconcile us to you to be in relationship again. But you've also sent us. I just pray that you'd raise up in here a whole army of sacrificial people who go into this community and are ready to do whatever it takes to serve those around them so that they might speak the word of reconciliation and minister reconciliation so that the world will realize the God who made them, loves them, wants them, paid the price to redeem them and bring them home. Make us part of it, Lord. Make us part of it. Lord, if there's any here who have not themselves responded and been reconciled to you, would they come today? Would they come to the altar? Would they come forward and say, I need Jesus? Would they turn to you today and be forgiven? Lord, we just thank you so much that you love us. Send us out this week. And we pray this in your name. Amen.